1: Abgenommen,
2: bedauer. Frequency. The
3: Hair Raising Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. <laughs>
4: Sam State Detective Agency.
3: It's me, Effie. Oh, Sam, I've been worried
5: about you. Sid Rice was just on the phone, and he says digging up a corpse without a permit is against the law. It's all right,
3: Effie. I just dug him up to say hello and put him back again. Oh, Sam. I'll be down in a couple of minutes to dictate my report, sweetheart. If I get lost on the way, you'll find me in City Hospital, the psycho ward, third straight jacket from the left. <laughs> Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented each week by Wild Root Cream Oil, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that will put your hair back in place again, grooming it neatly, naturally, the way you want it. Fellows. If a girl can spend half an hour under a hot dryer in a beauty parlor to look her best for you, certainly you can spend half a minute sprucing up with Wild Root Cream Oil hair tonic to look your best for her. That's all it takes. And Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair neatly and naturally, the way girls like to see it. Besides, it relieves dryness and removes loose dandruff. There's not a drop of alcohol in Wild Root Cream Oil. It contains lanolin. So get the big economy-sized bottle at your drug or toilet goods counter. And now, Wildwood brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Date, August 2nd, 1946. To Mrs. Gregory Denov. Subject, death of Dr. Denov. I was sitting in my office with nothing to think about except a horse named Corkscrew, Jr. My secretary, Effie Farine, came in and said there was someone outside. I didn't look up from the dope sheet, so she said it again.
4: Someone outside, Sam.
3: What's he look like?
4: Um, Blue
5: double-breasted custom-made suit, conicmere tie, hand tailored shirt, English shoes, hand trim, Van Dyke. Get me a blank
3: check and send him in. Okay, Sam. Please come in. Mr. Spade will see you now, sir. Okay? Thank you. you. You are Mr. Spade. Sam Spade. What can I do for you? I'm Dr. Gregory Denov, a psychoanalyst. I I need your help. Lie down, doctor, and tell me all about it. <laughs> I I see you might also be noted for your sense of humor as well as your discretion. Who told you I was discreet? A man named Nicolaitis. Well, you tell Nicolaitis, I think he's cute, too. What else does he say about me? That I can trust you with $10,000. Oh, is this Mr. Nicolaitis when he had patients? No, no, he isn't. As a matter of fact, he.
5: He's gotten possession of some private records of mine.
3: Well, it, it's rather involved. Nicolaitis is shaking you down, and he picked me as the middleman, is that it? This is not an ordinary case of blackmail. Blackmail is blackmail, even if you do it in Technicolor. Well, as you may know, a psychoanalyst keeps
6: a faithful transcript, a detailed record of everything a patient says during consultation, no matter how intimate or shocking. Yeah? This man, Nicolaitis, has managed to gain possession of a copy of one of these case histories.
5: The patient is a very celebrated person, and should this material be divulged,
3: it may have very serious consequences for both my patient and, and for me. Doctor, your best bet's the San Francisco Police Department. No, no, that's out of the question. Then I'm afraid I can't help you. Why not, pick I'm a private detective. When I take on a client, I take on his troubles. My job is to protect him, not to stand by and see him milk. If you want to hire me on that basis, I'll listen. Oh, I'm, I'm so tired must trust somebody. What can you do for me, Mr. Spade? Write me out a check for a $1,000. Got a pen? Yeah. All right. You see, Nicolaitis figures that if I'm getting a cut, I'll have to keep my mouth shut. I'll spend it all the same. Here you are. Thanks. Now, uh, what was the last thing Nicolaitis told you? That he would pick up the $10,000 here and deliver to you this file in question. Can you reach him? Yes. Call him. Tell him you've seen me. Tell him I won't do that kind of business in my office. Tell him to come to your house. I'll be there. What if he refuses? He won't. Tell him I have the whole ten thousand. What time? How about in an hour? No, no. I'm sorry. We'll have to make it around three. Or, oh goodness, I'm late now. I, I really. That's a beautiful watch, Mister Denham. Yes. Fine. Uh, yes. May I see. It? My watch. Why, really, Mister Spade? I'm very late. I have so many things to do, and I have to be at the Majestic Theatre well before the matinee starts at two thirty. Are you going to see me at three o'clock if you're going to the theatre?
5: Oh, I'm not going to stay for the performance.
3: Well, Mr. Spade, till 3 o'clock then. Oh, my office is in my apartment. The address is here on my card. It's the penthouse. Penthouse, huh? Okay, doctor, I'll come formal. I'll wear the top to my bathing suit. I left my office around 2.30 and started walking up Knob Hill. The Versailles apartment's where Denhoff's place was took up the whole 300 block, so I didn't have any trouble finding it. I stopped across the street for a minute to get my breath after the uphill climb, mopped my face, and started across. Just as I got to the middle of the street... The crowd was packed in so close around, I couldn't see who'd done the Brody, but I had a pretty good idea. The cops have the sidewalk roped off and guards posted at the building entrance. took me maybe 20 minutes to elbow my way through and show my credentials. Sergeant Levine had the front door, so they let me in. Lieutenant Dundee of Homicide met me at the door of the penthouse.
7: Hiya, Sam. What do you want?
3: I want to see Dr. Denov. The doctor's dead. Dead? Yeah. He's my client. They can't do this to me. How? Hit a brody out the window. What are you here for? To see his wife. Okay with you? Why not? She's inside. Thanks. <laughs>
2: I'm a of
6: police.
5: With
2: all due
6: respect for your grief, I must have the keys to the cabinet where Gregory kept his confidential files. You realize that you wish me to take charge of his patients and that I am responsible. All this police and so on, oh, we must get those files out of here as soon as possible. <coughs> yes? My name is Spade. I am Dr. Zoya. I was poor, Dr. Denhoff's oldest friend. If there's anything I... I'd like to I see, see you, Mrs. Denhoff, <laughs> alone. But
3: you police have already asked her so many questions. You see, she's not in the... I'm community. not with the police. I'm a private detective. I was working for Dr. Denhoff. A private detective? He
5: was in trouble, you see. You see, Dr. Sawyer, the police won't believe me. Hmm. Mr. Spade, you'll tell them. You'll tell them he didn't commit suicide. Well,
3: Mrs. Denhoff, I guess that takes care of everything here. It's clearly suicide. Oh, idiot. I'm a
5: stupid, idiot. Suicide. Mm. My husband, no. he treated suicide. He would never...
6: No, please. It will be all right, my dear. I'm sorry. She's hysterical. Yeah. If I had the time, I would... Tell them, tell them. Please, Mrs. Dano. The undertaker has been arranged for a burial at 7 o'clock, Bay Israel Cemetery. Now, please, the key to Gregory's fine.
5: Here, take it and go. Go ahead, all of you. Okay, we'll if we call you. No, I'm
6: so sorry, gentlemen. This hysteria,
5: a simple traumatic condition. If I only had the time. Who oh, can I turn to? Who will help me? You think it's pleasant? You think my husband would rest if they said I committed suicide? What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Shall I do? Oh...
3: Oh, Dr. Zoya didn't have a time, neither have I. Do you think it's murder? Who do you think killed your husband?
5: To name someone? That's a very serious charge, Mr. Spade.
3: Goodbye, Mrs. Denhoff.
5: Constance Brent.
3: You mean Constance Brent, the actress?
5: Yes. yes she was his last patient this morning. She had threatened to kill him before. How do you know? My husband
3: said so. Do you?
5: Well, he, he'd written it down on his notes on her case. Once before, she'd almost pushed him from that same window.
3: How about your husband and Miss Brent?
5: Oh, I knew she was falling in love with my husband. That always happens. They call it a transference But in
3: this your case... Your husband told me Miss Brent was acting in a play this afternoon over at the Majestic.
5: Yes, midsummer night's nice dream. But she was here. I know she was here. Miss Ray, the receptionist, was coming back from lunch when she heard voices arguing inside. And she was sure it was Miss Brent's voice.
3: Show me the doctor's case history on Miss Brent.
5: I can't. It's missing it. As soon as it happened, I went to the files. I meant to show it to the police.
3: Who could have taken it?
5: Constance Brent was the last one in that room before he died.
3: Yeah. When did you see Nicolaitis last? Nick, who? Skip it.
5: Uh, Where can I reach you in case.
3: For the next couple of hours, I'll be at the Majestic Theater. I want to see how good an actress this Constance Brent is. Yes? Miss Constance Brent's dressing room? What do you want? I want to talk to Miss Brent. Well, you can talk to me. I'm her husband. So you're Mr. Brent. I'm Jonathan Wallace. She's Mrs. Wallace. Now, what do you want with my wife? I've come to tell her that Dr. Denhoff is dead. D- I-
8: Are you sure?
3: You try falling from the 12th floor window sometime. Well, that's the best news I've heard this year. I'm afraid it will be a shock for Constance. Maybe, maybe not. She was the last person to see him alive, as far as anybody can make out. Are you from the police? No, uh, I'm from the insurance company, claims investigator. What do you want to see Constance for? The policy wasn't made out to her, was it? No, made out to his widow, but she can't collect. Police say it was suicide. That settles it. This is the
2: last
5: time I say to Tanya. Stand around while Puck pops his head off. Who is this person? Darling, I'm afraid this is going to be a shock.
3: This man is from an insurance company. Dr. Denold is dead.
5: Oh, what a pity. What happened? The police
3: say he jumped. His wife says he was pushed. She also says that you, Miss Brent, might have been the pusher. Oh, but...
5: now really it's too absurd. How oh, like a wife.
3: What time did your play start this afternoon, Miss Brent? Nothing over Tuesday
5: Always. Always. And the
3: late lamented Dr. Denold jumped at three o'clock. I didn't say he did. Doesn't this news uh shock you? <laughs> Do you think good psychoanalysts are easy
5: to find? Looks
3: like your next doctor will have to start from scratch. Your case history seems to be missing from Dr. Denhoff's files. Missing?
5: No. What is it?
3: Has a man named Nicolaitis been in touch with you? I've never heard of him. Chances are you will.
5: Does he have Dr. Denhoff's notes on my case? Could be. <gasps> this is
3: right. Hot reading, huh?
5: You seem to know this person, Nicolaitis. Get that file for me and I'll pay you well for it. Just a minute, my lovely Titania. We, we don't know who this man really is. He might even be Nicolaitis himself. Let me see your company credentials.
3: Now, what do you know? Somebody picked my pocket. My wallet's gone. I thought so. All right, you tell me who you are. I'll call the police. Oh, no, 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 Jonathan. No police. Let's get off the merry-go-round. My name is Spade. You'll find me in the phone book under S. My office is open until 6 o'clock. And if a man answers, don't hang up. It'll be me. Yet? Not one. I even tried spelling it backwards. Uh, nobody ever heard of a man named Nicolaitis. I'm beginning to think there ain't no such person. Uh, pardon me. Uh, do I hear my name mentioned?
9: I'm
4: Nicolaitis.
3: Sam, I still think you're right. Come all the way in, Mr. Nicolaitis. Sit down. Oh, thank you.
4: If you need me, Sam, just
9: scream.
3: What can I do for you? Oh, I've come for my money. What money?
9: The $10,000, you remember the $10,000?
3: Refresh my memory.
9: Oh, Dr. Denhoff, the gentleman who visited you this morning.
3: Oh, uh, that $10,000. Oh,
9: well, you see, you see, you remember.
3: Now. Yeah, yeah, it all comes back to me now. Uh, you were supposed to deliver something for the money.
9: Since Dr. Dennis' is dead, that is no longer important. You will give me the money, please, and I will not disturb your afternoon any further. Suppose I refuse? Oh, that would grieve me. And in my grief, there is no
3: telling what I might do. Dr. Denhoff's dead. There's nothing more you can do to hurt him.
9: Oh, never would I attempt to hurt poor Dr. Denhoff. But in my sorrow, it would be so great if I should be forced to hurt the woman he lost. After all, as Titania says, these are the forgeries of jealousy.
3: Titania? Titania? Ah, yes, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, Act 1, Scene 18. <laughs> I'm a little rusty on my Shakespeare.
9: Oh, you are indeed, Mr. Spade. Titania doesn't appear until you're well to act
3: two. She doesn't, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. I guess she isn't on for 40 minutes or so. Yes,
9: indeed, Mr. Spade, but I didn't come here to discuss drama.
3: What else have you got to discuss? When Dr. Dunoff died, your market died with him. That
9: is very unprogressive view, Mr. Spade. There's always a
3: gentleman named Jonathan Waddle. Why, you fiend. You don't mean you've sold the both of us. Mr.
9: Spade, how can you have such a low opinion of me? I will prove my integrity. I will give you the material. You give
3: me the money. Hand it over.
9: In the event, Mr. Spade, we have a saying... He who goes too close to the bear soon loses his beard. I have left my beard at home.
3: Okay, I'll meet you anywhere you say, anytime you say.
9: Excellent. At seven in your apartment? hmm?
3: Won't that be walking into the bear's cave?
9: In the Levant, Mr. Spade, we have a saying. Private dicks do not kill people in their own apartment.
3: was then 6 p.m. I called Effie for messages. She told me that you had been phoning frantically, Mrs. Denhoff. I still had maybe 30 minutes before Nicolaitis was due at my apartment, so I breezed on up to your place on the hill. We had a very interesting chat, uh, remember, Mrs. Denhoff? Looking back on it, that was probably the most interesting conversation we had. Funny, I can't remember much of anything you said, but it was so uh, cozy there in your place. But with your clock being about 20 minutes slow, it must have been something like half past seven before I left you. I grabbed a cab and told the hacky to step on it. I hoped Nicolaitis was still waiting at my apartment. He was. Mr. Nicolaitis, I'm sorry to be late. I... lying on my bathroom floor. The little guy was looking just about as natty as when he'd been in my office, except that the beautiful silk scarf he'd been wearing was twisted into a tight noose around his neck. Mr. Nikolaitis was a very dead blackmailer. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the fourth in a new series of programs bringing to the air for the first time... The Adventures of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. Then, at the racetrack, the man who has something better than a mere hunch is said to have it straight from the horse. Of course, that's a humorous expression. But it shows how to get facts, go straight to the real source of information. And that's why we went straight to hundreds of men in metropolitan New York to find out what men really want in a hair tonic. And their answers show that Wild Root Cream Oil has all five advantages chosen by this impartial consumer jury of men. One, Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair neatly and naturally, never leaves it sticky or greasy. Two, Wild Root Cream Oil relieves annoying dryness. Three, it removes loose dandruff. Four, it's non-alcoholic. And five, it contains soothing lanolin. Remember, no other leading hair tonic gives you all five of these important advantages. Is it any wonder that four out of five users in a nationwide test preferred Wild Root Cream Oil to all other hair tonics they tried? So next time you visit your barber, ask for Wild Root Cream Oil. And get the big economy-sized bottle of Wild Root Cream Oil at your drug or toilet goods counter. Sam and Psyche, tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. His eyes were open and he seemed to be looking right at me as I bent over him. The finger marks in his throat were too blotchy to be of any use. Pretty soon, Lieutenant Dundee and Sergeant Polehouse came in and walked over behind me. We all stood there for a second and then Polhouse bent down and closed those eyes. You know him, Sam? His name is Nicolaitis. That's all I know about him. What did he come here to your place for? I don't know. You invited him? I wouldn't have been surprised to find him here. But not like this. You boys got a smear on him yet? Sure. He's an old customer of mine. Runs a photo lab. Photostats, microfilm. Microfilm? Nobody makes any sense. They're all screwballs, psychos, neurotics. What am I doing in the middle of this anyway? Sam, don't scream at us. We're just doing a job. Oh, I'm sorry, boys. This Dr. Denhoff was my client. No
5: expert. That Denhoff
3: probably had a screw loose somewhere and needed a psychoanalyst himself. Say, maybe he was... Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, Dundee. Hmm? I'm going out of here now. Do I call Sid Weiss and we go through all that again, or are you going to let me walk? Why, Sam, you can go. I know where you sleep. I'll wake you when I'm ready for you. Well, Mr. Spade? I want some answers, Dr. Zoya, and you're the guy who can give them to me. I'm listening. Just let the
6: questions flow into your mind and do not try to repress any of them. Speak
3: instantly, whatever. Okay, question number one without thinking. Do you think Dr. Denhoff was a suicide? Well, I had not seen Dr. Denhoff for many years. He had
6: been my student in Vienna. I was his analyst, in fact.
3: That's all very interesting,
6: doctor, but my question. Yes, yes, sir. did poor Dr. Denhoff commit suicide? I have reviewed all the material, manifest and hypothetical, and I came to the conclusion, no, no, it was quite impossible. You see, these paranoid... Okay, and question number
3: two. Was uh, Dr. Denhoff in love with Constance Brent?
6: I suppose I can now answer that question. When I arrived in San Francisco, I found him in great distress. He told me he feared he was losing his objectivity towards
3: this patient. In other words, he was in love with her? Yes. You think she might have murdered him?
6: All psychoanalytical subjects develop aggressive feelings toward the doctor. Nearly all of my patients have threatened me
3: at one time or another. You don't say. Uh, tell me, Dr. Zoya, you know anything about Jonathan Wallace, Miss Brent's husband? A violent type, almost psychotic. Yeah. How about you, uh, Dr. Sawyer? Could you have done
6: it? That is a most interesting question, Mr. Spade. When I arrived here from Vienna without funds, dependent on the kindness of my former students, I must confess that I felt a certain antagonism. It disturbed me to realize that a man of my standing in the profession should have been dependent on the goodwill of a younger and, uh, I sincerely believe, less gifted man. However, I overcame this, and
3: I didn't kill him. (laughs) Well, uh, Doctor, thanks a lot. Oh, people, people.
6: Truly a life study. (laughs) There is no accounting. (laughs) For instance, Dr. Danoff. He came to me only this afternoon with the strangest request.
2: Yeah?
6: He gave me the gold watch. The gold watch which I had presented to him many years ago upon his graduation in Vienna. He had a patient waiting and so had not much time to explain. Where is this watch? Please, I'm coming to that. He asked me to promise that I would have the watch buried with him if something should happen. That? has been
3: done. But Dr. Denhoff just died at 3 o'clock. It is a mosaic law that the deceased be buried before sundown.
6: Uh-huh.
3: Thanks, doctor. Thanks a lot.
2: Hmm.
6: I hope I've been of some help.
3: Doctor, you'll never know how much you've helped me. Spade. Oh, what's happened? I think I got the answers, Mrs. Denner, of that file on Constance Brent. Your husband knew that you'd been going through it. Mr. Spade. Shut up and listen to me. He took it out of the files, had it microfilmed for his own private records, and destroyed the original. Really? The man who did the microfilming was Nicolaitis. He delivered one print to your husband and kept another for himself. He was murdered in my apartment for the copy he used to shake down your husband. The killer now has that copy, if it hasn't already been destroyed. But we can still put our hands on the first strip of microfilm which you delivered to your husband.
5: This is astonishing. How? It's
3: in the gold watch which was buried with him. Oh,
5: the, the watch that
3: Dr. Zoya... That's right. Denov made up his mind that whatever he knew about Constance Brent was going to go to the grave with him. What are you doing tonight?
5: Well, oh,
3: nothing. And we got a date, sweetheart, you and I. I'll be back toward the wee hours. All paths lead to the grave. Ophelia, act six. Gregory's grave?
5: But shouldn't we get a court order and have it done properly? The
3: courts don't open until ten in the morning, sweetheart. And Lieutenant Dundee's going to start asking me some questions about that stuff in my apartment before then. You see, baby, I can't wait.
5: We shouldn't be doing
3: this. If I'm wrong, this time it won't be wasted effort. I'll crawl into the grave myself and pull it in after. Here. I struck it. Give me that crowbar, Mrs. Dunn, quick.
5: Oh, dear. Oh, dear.
3: Put that flashlight in here, sweetheart. You look the other way. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. Look. What, Mr. Speed? What have you got? The watch. Here, put the flash on it while I open it.
5: Here's my
3: nail file. Try off the back. Thanks, that does it here's the film all right mr spade give me that film well if it isn't the second grave digger from hamlet mr constance brent stop planning and hand
5: it up to me you better do as he says mr spade we've both got guns
3: i was expecting that took you a long time to get here mr wallace how did dear constance make out as lady macbeth just give me that film stop being an idiot The cemetery is crawling with cops Put that gun away before you drop it and break your foot. Come up out of that grave, or You'll stay there forever. Okay, Dundee. All right, all right. Get those hands up, everybody. Go ahead, Dundee. Make the pinch. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sam Spade, I arrest you for body snatching, violation of graves under the Civil Code number... No, you fool. You're supposed to arrest Mrs. Gregory Denhoff and Jonathan Wallace for the murder of Gregory Denhoff and Pericles Nicolaitis. But I...
5: Oh, oh, yeah,
2: yeah. No, (laughs) you don't. Oh!
3: Smart of you, Mrs. Denov, to make me late for my appointment with Nikolaitis. You did that so that Wallace could nail him in my apartment for the microfilm. You thought you could use that film to pin Denov's murder on Constance Brent. But after your late husband caught you tampering with his files, he added a few well-chosen words to it so that the film put the finger on you and your boyfriend, Mr. Wallace, in case anything happened to the doctor. So Wallace had to kill Nikolaitis. You weren't smart to push your husband out the window. That looked like suicide. You might have gotten away with it, Mrs. Denhoff, if you'd bashed your husband's head in with a bottle. Uh, that reminds me, Effie, pour me a drink.
4: That all?
3: Sign it, put a special delivery on it, and send it care of the matron to Hatchapi prison. Go on, have one yourself.
4: Oh,
5: thank you. Here's how. Oh. <laughs> You'll get used to it.
4: <laughs> Good
3: night, Sam. <laughs> Good night, sweetheart. Um. Wild Root Cream Oil presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, produced and directed by William Spear. Then, on these warm August days, the sun beats down on your hair, may leave it looking dry and brittle. That's why, now especially, you need Wild Root Cream Oil. This grand, non-alcoholic hair tonic has just what it takes for summer grooming. It contains lanolin, the soothing oil that's so much like the oil of your skin. Wild Root Cream Oil keeps your hair neatly in place, gives it the handsome, successful look that helps you get ahead on the job. And Wild Root Cream Oil removes loose, ugly dandruff and actually relieves annoying dryness. So tonight, take the famous FN test. Check your scalp. Signs of dryness or loose dandruff tell you, you need Wild Root Cream Oil right away. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Fred Essler was Dr. Zoya. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Don't forget, next Friday, the three masters of the art of hair-raising, Dashiell Hammett, William Spear, and Wild Root Cream Oil... Join forces to bring you another hair raising adventure with Sam Spade. Smart girls use Wild Root Cream Oil too for quick, good grooming and to relieve dryness between permanents. Mothers say it's grand for training children's hair. Dick Joy speaking.
0: This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.
3: The hair raising adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for
10: the hair.
11: Sam Spade, Detective Agency.
10: It's me, Effie.
11: Oh, Sam, I've been worried about you. Sid Weiss was just on the phone and he says digging up a corpse without a permit is against the law. It's
10: all right, Effie.
3: I just dug him up to say hello and put him back again.
10: Oh, thanks. I'll
3: be down in a couple of minutes to dictate my report, sweetheart. If I get lost on the way, you'll find me in City Hospital, the Psycho Ward, third straight jacket from the left.
10: (laughs)
11: Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and
3: William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented each week by Wild Root Cream Oil, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that will put your hair back in place again, grooming it neatly, naturally, the way you want it. Fellows... If a girl can spend half an hour under a hot dryer in a beauty parlor to look her best for you, certainly you can spend half a minute sprucing up with Wild Root Cream Oil hair tonic to look your best for her. That's all it takes, and Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair neatly and naturally, the way girls like to see it. Besides, it relieves dryness and removes loose dandruff. There's not a drop of alcohol in Wild Root Cream Oil. It contains lanolin. So get the big economy size bottle at your drug or toilet goods counter. And now, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Date, August 2nd,
10: 1946.
3: To Mrs. Gregory Denov. Subject, Death of Dr. Denov. I was sitting in my office with nothing to think about except a horse named Corkscrew Junior. My secretary, Effie Perrine, came in and said there was someone outside. I didn't look up from the dope sheet, so she said it again.
11: Someone outside, Sam.
3: What's he look like?
11: Um, blue double-breasted custom-made suit, count of tie, hand-tailored shirt, English shoes, hand-trimmed Van Dyke. Get me a
3: blank check and send him in. Okay, Sam. Please come in. Mr. Spade will see you now, sir. Thank you. You are Mr. Spade. Sam Spade. What can I do for you? I'm Dr. Gregory Denov, a psychoanalyst. I, I need your help. Lie down, doctor, and tell me all about it. <laughs> I I see you might also be noted for your sense of humor as well as your discretion. Who told you I was discreet? A man named Nicolaitis. Well, you tell Nicolaitis. I think he's cute, too. What else does he say about me? That I can trust you with $10,000. Oh. Is this Mr. Nikolaitis, one of your patients? No, no, he isn't. As a matter of fact,
6: he he's gotten possession of some private records of mine.
3: Well, it's rather involved... Nikolaitis is shaking you down, and he picked me as the middleman, is that it? This is not an ordinary case of blackmail. Blackmail is blackmail, even if you do it in technicolor.
6: Well, as you may know, a psychoanalyst keeps a faithful transcript, a detailed record of everything a patient says during consultation, no matter how intimate or shocking... This man, Nicolaitis, has managed to gain possession of a copy of one of these case histories. The patient is a very celebrated person, and should this material be divulged, it may have very serious consequences for both my patient
3: and, and for me. Doctor, your best bet's the San Francisco Police Department. No, no, that's out of the question. Then I'm afraid I can't help you. Why not, Nicolaitis? I'm the a attorney. private detective. When I take on a client, I take on his troubles. My job is to protect him, not to stand by and see him milked you want to hire me on that basis, I'll listen. Oh, I'm, I'm so tired. I must trust somebody. What can you do for me, Mr. Spade? Write me out a check for $1,000. Got a pen? Yeah. All right. You see, Nicolaitis figures that if I'm getting a cut, I'll have to keep my mouth shut. I'll spend it all the same. Here you are. Thanks. Now, uh, what was the last thing Nicolaitis told you? That he would pick up the $10,000 here and deliver to you this file in question. Can you raise him? Yes. Call him. Tell him you've seen me. Tell him I won't do that kind of business in my office. Tell him to come to your house. I'll be there. What if he refuses? He won't. Tell him I have the whole 10000 What time? How about in an hour? No, no, I'm sorry. We'll have to make it around three or... Oh, goodness, I'm late now. I, I really... That's a beautiful watch, Mr. Denner. Yes. For him? Uh, yes. May I see it? My watch... Why, really, Mr. Spade, I'm very late. I have so many things to do, and I have to be at the Majestic Theater well before the matinee starts at 2.30. How are you going to see me at 3 o'clock if you're going to the theater? Oh, I'm not going to stay for the performance. Well, Mr. Spade, till 3 o'clock, then. Oh, my office is in my apartment. The address is here on my card. It's the penthouse. Penthouse, huh? Okay, doctor, I'll come formal. I'll wear the top to my bathing suit. I left my office around 2.30 and started walking up Knob Hill. The Versailles apartments where Denhoff's place was took up the whole 300 blocks, so I didn't have any trouble finding it. I stopped across the street for a minute to get my breath after the uphill climb, mopped my face and started across. Just as I got to the middle of the street... The crowd was packed in so close around I couldn't see who'd done the Brody, but I had a pretty good idea. The cops had the sidewalk roped off and guards posted at the building entrance. Took me maybe 20 minutes to elbow my way through and show my credentials. Sergeant Levine had the front door, so they let me in. Lieutenant Dundee of Homicide met me at the door of the penthouse. Hiya, Sam. What do you want? I want to see Dr. Denhoff. The doctor's dead. Dead? Yeah. He's my client. They can't do this to me. How? Hit a Brody out the window. What are you here for? To see his wife. Okay with you? Why not? She's inside. Thanks.
10: Mr. Stan of police
6: With all due respect for your grief I must have the keys to the cabinet Where Gregory kept his confidential files You realize that you wished me To take charge of his patients And that I am responsible All this police and so on We must get those files out of here As soon as possible Yes?
3: My name is Spade
6: I am Dr. Zoya I was poor, Dr. Dennoff's oldest friend. If there's anything I... would like to see you, Mrs.
10: Denhoff, alone.
6: But you police have already asked her so many
3: questions. You see, she's not in the... I'm not with the police. I'm a private detective. I was working for Dr. Denhoff. A private detective? He was
11: in trouble, you see. You see, Dr. Sawyer, the police won't believe me. Mm. Mr. Spade, you'll tell them. You'll tell him he didn't
3: commit suicide. Well, Mrs. Darnold, I guess that takes care of everything here. It's clearly suicide. Oh, idiot. I'm stupid,
11: idiot. Suicide. Mm. My husband, no. he treated suicide. He would never...
6: No, please. It will be all right, my dear. I'm sorry. She's hysterical. Yeah. If I had the time, Faye, I
10: would...
6: Tell them, tell them. Please, Mrs. Darnold. The undertaker has been arranged for a burial at 7 o'clock, Bay Israel Cemetery. Now, please, the key to Gregory's fire.
11: Here, take it and go. Go ahead, all of you.
6: Okay, well, not we'll call you. Them, oh, I'm so sorry, gentlemen. This
11: hysteria is simple
6: traumatic condition. If I only had the time. Oh,
11: who can I turn to? Who will help me? You think it's pleasant? You think my husband would rest if they said I committed suicide? What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Oh, oh, you...
3: Dr. Zoya didn't have the time, neither have I. You think it's murder. Who do you think killed your husband?
11: Oh, to name someone. That's a very serious charge, Mr. Speed.
3: Goodbye, Mrs. Denhoff.
11: Constance Brent.
3: You mean Constance Brent, the actress?
11: Yes. yes. she was his last patient this morning. She had threatened to kill him before. How do you know? My husband said so. Do you? And he'd written it down on his notes on her case. Once before, she'd almost pushed him from that same window.
3: How about your husband and Miss Brent?
11: Oh, I knew she was falling in love with my husband. That always happens. They they call it a transference. But in this case... Your husband
3: told me Miss Brent was acting in a play this afternoon over at the Majestic.
11: Yes, Midsummer Night's Dream. But she was here. I know she was here. Miss Ray, the receptionist, was coming back from lunch when she heard voices arguing inside. And she was sure it was Miss Brent's voice.
3: Show me the doctor's case history on Miss Brent.
11: I can't. It's missing. As soon as it happened, I went to the files. I meant to show it to the police.
3: Who could have taken it?
11: Constance Brent was the last one in that room before he died.
3: Yeah. When did you say Nicolaitis last? Nick, who? Skip it.
11: Uh, where can I reach you in case...
3: For the next couple of hours, I'll be at the Majestic Theater. I want to see how good an actress this Constance Brent is. <laughs> Yes? Miss Constance Brent's dressing room? What do you want? I want to talk to Miss Brent. Well, you can talk to me. I'm her husband. So you're Mr. Brent. I'm Jonathan Wallace. She's Mrs. Wallace. Now, what do you want with my wife? I've come to tell her that Dr. Dunhoff is dead. Are you sure? You tried falling from a 12th floor window sometime.
10: Well, that's the best news I've heard this year. I'm afraid it'll be a shock for Constance.
3: Maybe, maybe not. She was the last person to see him alive, as far as anybody can make out. Uh, are you from the police? No, uh, I'm from the insurance company. claims investigator. What do you want to see Constance for? The
6: policy wasn't made out to
3: her, was it? No, made out to his widow. But she can't collect. Police say it was suicide. Oh,
10: settles it. This
3: is
11: the last time I take to Tanya. Stand around while Puck talks his head off. Who is this
3: person? Darling, I'm afraid this is going to be a shock. This man is from an insurance company. Dr. Dennoff is dead.
11: Oh, what a pity. What happened?
3: The police say he jumped. His wife says he was pushed. She also says that you, Miss Brent, might have been the pusher. Oh, Push.
11: now, really, it's too absurd. How like a wife.
3: What time did your play start this afternoon, Miss Brent?
11: Nothing over two thirty, always. Always.
3: And the late lamented Dr. Dennoff jumped at three o'clock. I didn't say he did. Doesn't this news uh, shock you? But of course.
11: Do you think good psychoanalysts are easy to find?
3: Looks like your next doctor will have to start from scratch. Your case history seems to be missing from Dr. Denhoff's files. Missing?
11: No. What is it?
3: Has a man named Nicolaitis been in touch with you? I've never heard of him. Chances are you will.
11: Does he have Dr. Denhoff's notes on my case? Could be. (gasps) This is frightful.
3: Hot reading, huh?
11: You seem to know this person, Nicolaitis. Get that file for me and I'll pay you well for it.
3: Just a minute, my lovely Titania. We, we don't know who
6: this man really is. He might even be Nicolaitis himself. Let me see your company
3: credentials. Now, what do you know? Somebody picked my pocket. My wallet's gone. I thought so. All right, you tell me who you are, I'll call the police. Oh, no, no, Jonathan, no police. Let's get off the merry-go-round. My name is Spade. You'll find me in the phone book under S. My office is open until 6 o'clock. And if a man answers, don't hang up. It'll be me. <laughs> You found a Nicolaitis yet? Not
11: one. I even tried spelling it backwards.
3: Uh, Nobody ever heard of a man named Nicolaitis. I'm beginning to think there ain't no such person. Uh, Pardon me. Do I hear
11: my name mentioned?
9: I'm Nicolaitis.
11: Sam, I still think you're right.
3: Come all the way in, Mr. Nicolaitis. Sit down. Thank you.
11: If you need me, Sam, just scream.
3: What can I do for you?
9: Oh, I've come for my money. What money? Oh, the $10,000, you remember the $10,000?
3: Refresh my memory. Oh, Dr. Dennoff,
9: the gentleman who visited you this morning?
3: Oh, uh, that $10,000. Oh,
9: well, you see, you see, you remember
3: now. Yeah, yeah, it all comes back to me now. Uh, you were supposed to deliver something for the money.
9: Since Dr. Denhoff is dead, that is no longer important. You will give me the money, please, and I will not disturb your afternoon any further.
3: Suppose I refused.
9: Oh, that would grieve me. In my grief, there's no telling what I might
3: do. Dr. Denhoff's dead. There's nothing more you can do to hurt him.
9: Oh, never would I attempt to hurt poor Dr. Denhoff. But in my sorrow, it would be so great if I should be forced to hurt the woman he lost. After all, as Titania says, these are the forgeries of jealousy.
3: Titania, huh? Ah, yes, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, Act 1, Scene 18. (laughs) I'm a little rusty on my Shakespeare. Oh, you are indeed, Mr. Spade.
9: Titania doesn't appear until well into Act
3: 2. She doesn't, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Yeah. I guess she isn't on for 40 minutes or so. Yes,
9: indeed, Mr. Spade, but I didn't come here to discuss drama.
3: What else have you got to discuss? When Dr. Dunhall died, your marker died with him. That is a very unprogressive view, Mr. Spade. There's
9: always a gentleman named Jonas Nawal.
3: Why, you fiend. You don't mean
10: you've sold it. both of us? Mr.
9: Spade, how can you have such a low opinion of me? I will prove my integrity. I will give you the material. You give me the money. Hand it over. In the event, Mr. Spade, we have a saying. He who goes too close to the bear soon loses his beard. I have left my beard at home.
3: Okay, I'll meet you anywhere you say, anytime you say. Excellent. At seven in your apartment? Won't that be walking into the bear's cave? In the Levant, Mr. Spade, we have a
9: saying Private dicks do not kill people in their own apartment.
3: was then 6 p.m. I called Effie for messages. She told me that you had been phoning frantically, Mrs. Denov. I still had maybe 30 minutes before Nikolaitis was still at my apartment, so I breezed on up to your place on the hill. We had a very interesting chat, Uh, remember, Mrs. Denov? Looking back on it, that was probably the most interesting conversation we had. Funny, I can't remember much of anything you said, but it was so uh, cozy there in your place. And what with your clock being about 20 minutes slow, it must have been something like half past seven before I left you. I grabbed a cab and told the hacky to step on it. I hoped Nicolaitis was still waiting at my apartment. He was. (laughs) Mr. Nicolaitis, I'm sorry to be late. was lying on my bathroom floor. The little guy was looking just about as natty as when he'd been in my office, except that the beautiful silk scarf he'd been wearing was twisted into a tight noose around his neck. Mr. Nikolaitis was a very dead blackmailer. Acres of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the fourth in a new series of programs bringing to the air for the first time the adventures of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. at the racetrack, the man who has something better than a mere hunch is said to have it straight from the horse. Of course, that's a humorous expression, but it shows how to get facts, go straight to the real source of information. And that's why we went straight to hundreds of men in metropolitan New York to find out what men really want in a hair tonic. And their answers show that wild root cream oil has all five advantages chosen by this impartial consumer jury of men. One... Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair neatly and naturally, never leaves it sticky or greasy. Two, Wild Root Cream Oil relieves annoying dryness. Three, it removes loose dandruff. Four, it's non-alcoholic. And five, it contains soothing lanolin. Remember, no other leading hair tonic gives you all five of these important advantages. Is it any wonder that four out of five users in a nationwide test preferred Wild Root Cream Oil to all other hair tonics they tried? So next time you visit your barber, ask for Wild Root Cream Oil. And get the big, economy-sized bottle of Wild Root Cream Oil at your drug or toilet goods counter. And now, back to Sam and Psyche. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. Eyes were open and he seemed to be looking right at me as I bent over him. The finger marks in his throat were too blotchy to be of any use. Pretty soon, Lieutenant Dundee and Sergeant Polehouse came in and walked over behind me. We all stood there for a second and then Polhouse bent down and closed those eyes. You know him, Sam? His name is Nicolaitis. That's all I know about him. What did he come here to your place for? I don't know. You invited him? I wouldn't have been surprised to find him here. But not like this. You boys got a smear on him yet? Sure, he's an old customer of mine. Runs a photo lab, photo microfilm. Microfilm? And... Nobody makes any sense. They're all screwballs, psychos, neurotics. What am I doing in the middle of this anyway? Sam, don't scream at us. We're just doing a job. Oh, I'm sorry, boys. This... Dr. Denno was my client. No expert, That Denno probably had a screw loose somewhere and needed a psychoanalyst himself. Say, maybe he was... Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, Dundee.
10: Hmm?
3: I'm going out of here now. Do I call Sid Weiss and we go through all that again, or are you going to let me walk? Why, well, Sam, you can go. I know where you sleep. I'll wake you when I'm ready for you. Well, Mr. Speed? I want some answers, Dr. Sawyer, and you're the guy who can give them to me.
6: I'm I'm listening. Just let the questions flow into your mind and do not try to repress
3: any of them. Speak
6: instantly, whatever. Okay,
3: question number one, without thinking. Do you think Dr. Denhoff was a suicide? Well, I had not seen Dr.
6: Denhoff for many years. He had been my student in Vienna. I was his
3: analyst, in fact. That's all very interesting, doctor, but my question... Yes, yes. uh,
6: Did poor Dr. Denhoff commit suicide? I have reviewed all the material, manifest, and hypothetical... ...and I came to the conclusion... ...no, no, it was quite impossible. You see, these paranoid... Okay, question number two.
3: Was uh, Dr. Denov in love with Constance Brent?
6: I suppose I can now answer that question. When I arrived in San Francisco, I found him in great distress. He told me he feared he was losing his objectivity towards this patient. In other words,
3: he was in love with her. Yes. You think she might have murdered him? All
6: psychoanalytical subjects develop aggressive feelings toward the doctor. Nearly all of my patients have threatened me at one time
3: or another. You don't say. Uh, tell me, Dr. Zoya, you know anything about Jonathan Wallace, Miss Brent's husband? A violent type, almost psychotic. Yeah? How about you, uh, Dr. Zoya? Because you have done it?
6: That is a most interesting question, Mr. Spade. When I arrived here from Vienna without funds, dependent on the kindness of my former students, I must confess that I felt a certain antagonism. It disturbed me to realize that a man of my standing in the profession should have be dependent on the goodwill of a younger and <laughs> I sincerely believe less gifted man. However, I overcame this and I didn't kill him. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, uh yeah, doctor, thanks a lot.
6: <laughs> oh, Peep Peep surely a life study. <laughs> there is no accounting. <laughs> For instance, Dr. Danoff, he came to me only this afternoon with the strangest request. Yeah? He gave me the gold watch. The gold watch which I had presented to him many years ago upon his graduation in Vienna. He had a patient waiting and so had not much time to explain. Where is this watch? A... Please, I'm coming to that. He asked me to promise that I would have the watch buried with him if something should happen. That has been done.
3: But Doctor Danel just died at three o'clock.
6: It is a mosaic law that the deceased be buried before sundown. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Thanks, Doctor. Thanks a lot. Hmm.
3: I hope I've been of some help, Doctor. You'll never know how much you've helped me. <laughs>
10: Spade. What's happened? I
3: think I got the answers, Mrs. Dunn, that file on Constance Brent. Your husband knew that you'd been going through it. Mr. Spade. Shut up and listen to me. He took it out of the files, had it microfilmed for his own private records, and destroyed the original.
10: Really? The man
3: who did the microfilming was Nicolaitis. He delivered one print to your husband and kept another for himself. He was murdered in my apartment for the copy he used to shake down your husband. The killer now has that copy. If it hasn't already been destroyed, But we can still put our hands on the first strip of microfilm which you delivered to your husband.
11: This is astonishing. How? It's
3: in the gold watch which was buried with him.
11: Oh, the, the watch that Dr. Zoya... That's
3: right. Denov made up his mind that whatever he knew about Constance Brent was going to go to the grave with him. What are you doing tonight?
11: Oh, nothing.
3: And we got a date, sweetheart, you and I. I'll be back toward the wee hours. All paths lead to the grave. Ophelia, act six.
11: Gregory's grave? But shouldn't we get a court order and have it done properly?
3: The courts don't open until ten in the morning, sweetheart, and Lieutenant Dundee's going to start asking me some questions about that stuff in my apartment before then. You see, baby, I can't wait. (laughs)
11: We shouldn't be doing this.
3: If I'm wrong. This time it won't be wasted effort. I'll crawl into the grave myself and pull it in after. Here. I struck it. Give me that crowbar, Mrs. Dunnell, quick.
11: Oh, dear. Oh, dear.
3: Put that flashlight in here, sweetheart. You look the other way. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. Look.
11: What, Mr. Speed? What have you got?
3: The watch. Here, put the flash on it while I open uh,
11: it. Here's my nail file. Pry oh. off the back. Thanks.
3: Does it? Here's the film.
10: All right, Mr. Spade.
3: Give me that film. Well, if it isn't the second gravedigger from Hamlet, Mr. Constance Brent. Stop plowing and hand it up to
11: me. You better do as he says, Mr. Spade. We've both got
3: guns. I was expecting that. It took you a long time to get here, Mr. Wallace. How did dear Constance make out as Lady Macbeth? Just give me that film. Stop being an idiot, Wallace. The cemetery is crawling with cops. Put that gun away before you drop it and break your foot. Come up out of that grave, Spade, or you'll stay there forever. Okay, Dundee. All right. Get those hands up, everybody. Go ahead, Dundee. Make the pinch. Okay. Sam Spade, I arrest you for body snatching, violation of graves under the civil code number... No, two. you fool. You're supposed to arrest Mrs. Gregory huh? Denov and Jonathan Wallace for the murder of Gregory Denov and Pericles Nicolaitis. But I... Oh, yeah,
11: yeah, I... No, you
10: don't. I... Oh.
3: was smart of you, Mrs. Denov, to make me late for my appointment with Nikolaitis. You did that so that Wallace could nail him in my apartment for the microfilm. You thought you could use that film to pin Denov's murder on Constance Brent. But after your late husband caught you tampering with his files, he added a few well-chosen words to it so that the film put the finger on you and your boyfriend, Mr. Wallace, in case anything happened to the doctor. So Wallace had to kill Nikolaitis. You weren't smart to push your husband out the window. That looked like suicide. You might have gotten away with it, Mrs. Denhoff, if you'd bashed your husband's head in with a bottle. Uh, That reminds me, Effie, pour me a drink.
11: That all?
3: Sign it, put a special delivery on it, and send it care of the matron to Hatchapi Prison. Go on, have one
10: yourself.
11: Oh,
10: thank you. Here's how. You'll get used to it.
11: Good
10: night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart.
3: Wild Root Cream Oil presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective produced and directed by William Spear. Then, on these warm August days, the sun beats down on your hair, may leave it looking dry and brittle. That's why, now especially, you need Wild Root Cream Oil. This grand, non-alcoholic hair tonic has just what it takes for summer grooming. It contains lanolin, the soothing oil that's so much like the oil of your skin. Wild Root Cream Oil keeps your hair neatly in place, gives it the handsome, successful look that helps you get ahead on the job. And Wild Root Cream Oil removes loose, ugly dandruff and actually relieves annoying dryness. So tonight, take the famous FN test. Check your scalp. Signs of dryness or loose dandruff tell you, you need Wild Root Cream Oil right away. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Fred Essler was Dr. Zoya. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Don't forget, next Friday, the three masters of the art of hair-raising, Dashiell Hammett, William Spear, and Wild Root Cream Oil, join forces to bring you another hair-raising adventure with Sam Spade. Smart girls use wild root cream oil too for quick, good grooming and to relieve dryness between permanents. Mothers say it's grand for training children's hair. Dick Joy speaking. This is ABC,
10: the American Broadcasting Company.
3: The Adventures of Sam
2: Spade, Detective. <laughs>
3: Effie. Effie. Oh.
12: I waited. Say what you have
2: to say
4: and I'll go.
3: You've been through a tough time, sweetheart.
4: You didn't make it any easier.
3: You think it was a cakewalk for me? You think my nerves are made of rubber?
4: You have no nerves. You're just a cold, callous
2: detective.
3: You're going to listen to me. You're going to sit still, not talk, and listen. When i finished, you can say goodnight or goodbye. First, you're going to listen to me. You remember how it started? Yesterday evening, when you told me it was your mother's birthday, you were giving a party, you said, and you wanted me to come? I tried to beg off, being no social butterfly, but Mom would be hurt, you said. And so the next thing I knew, there I was at your house, surrounded by two dozen strangers, ten gallons of lemonade, and your mother.
4: I've been wanting to have a talk with you, Mr. Spade, about Effie.
3: I can't think of a nicer subject, Mrs. Spade. <laughs> yeah.
4: Effie is just so devoted to you, Mr. Steve.
3: Yeah, well, uh, I, uh, Mother. I'm very devoted to Effie, too, Mrs. what I mean is. Uh, Mother, I think we should
4: do something. Firstly's dying on a feet. Oh, you want
3: me to spike the lemonade, Effie? It just so happens that I have here in my pocket a bottle of. Uh, I
4: have a wonderful idea. It'll make the party one big, happy family. You just wait and see now. Quiet! Quiet, everybody. What's she up to? you kind of game, probably. Another we'll great on game.
2: Yeah,
3: that's all I need.
4: Your attention,
12: please.
4: Oh, oh, excuse me. There's Miss Brent going now. Oh,
12: Miss Brent?
4: Oh, Miss Brent?
12: Yeah, Miss Green. Won't you join the party? I'd love to. but I have an appointment.
4: Oh, what a shame. Oh, do
12: stay. Thank you. Some other time. Oh.
4: Lola's so nice. She rents the sitting room upstairs. I wish she could have stayed. Well, but I'll explain the game now. Oh, Mrs.
12: Green, I think I'll stay after all. Oh, how nice.
4: Oh, you've brought a gentleman friend. Yeah. Yeah, Charlie, this is Marty. Mikey? Oh,
1: but Mikey, I'd
3: like to... Lola sat down and crossed her legs at me. On her left me where I would have preferred to see a dimple, I saw a tattoo mark. Her gentleman friend Marty was a small, stocky guy, all teeth, and a New York tie. He uh, shook hands all around, and it felt like the paw of a stale and stiff.
4: And this is Mr. Spade. He's a private detective that he works for. Lola's from Kansas City, Mr. Spade. Oh? She's waiting for her husband to return from service overseas.
3: I'm glad he's coming home safely. Where's he stationed?
4: Uh. Japan. Yeah, he's... Now, quiet, everybody. Quiet. We're going to play charades. Oh, it's very simple. And you see, I'm the captain of Team A. Now, uh, Dr., uh, Dr. Burson, oh, he's so clever, he can be captain of Team D. Now, dears, quiet, everybody. Now, we we'll both select the members of our team, and then, um... Each of you will uh, write something on a slip of paper. Uh we'll write a quotation or a phrase, you know, the title of a song, whatever you like. Doesn't matter. Just something interesting and clever. Then I think. Yes, yes, I think I got You act out what you've written all in candle. No words can be used, although sounds are permissible. Dears, you must listen to me or be can't play Now hey, you can't play unless you know how. And then your team you must guess what is written on the paper and act it out. Now, yeah, how many words? How many words can we put? Oh, any other words? Oh, no, way. not not over
13: ten, no. It ain't too long yet.
4: Now, everybody. Teams
3: ready? were chosen. I wound up on Missus Perrine's team A. The slips of paper were handed out to the guests. I wrote down quote okay. the Raven, Nevermore." So I'd have to make like a Raven. Everybody was getting settled. Uh, Lola Brent came up to me. She pushed a slip of paper into my hand.
12: This is your charade, Mr. Spade.
3: Oh, but I got Isn't one. is this fun?
12: Please, don't lose the charade I gave you.
3: And with that, she lost herself in the crowd. I pushed the paper she handed me into my pocket without looking at it. Her. her gentleman friend Marty, the little character with the New York tie, was out in the center of the floor acting his charade. He flapped his arms up and down, quacked twice, rolled over on his back. Nobody got it, so we did it again.
4: Oh now, wait a minute. Quack, 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 quack. Oh. Wait a minute now, pigeon, duck, dead duck! Dead duck! Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, isn't that wonderful? Now, Team A scores a the win there. Let's go on, please. Professor, well, uh, Mr. Dead Duck, we guessed you. So will you please get up now, and we'll go on to the... <gasps> oh, oh, Sam! Damn, he's dead!
3: And he certainly was. A deader duck I'd never seen. I bent to him and his lips were turning blue. Somebody had spiked his last drink with a jigger of poison. One hour later, Dundee and the homicide boys, including the medic, had taken a sip downtown. No one could identify him. Lola Brent had brought him to the party, but she'd taken a powder. You and Mom were kind of shaky, so I decided to spend the night on the sofa in the living room. Only used up about three hours of it when I heard the front door open. I figured it was Lola. I got to my feet, crossed the hall, and found myself staring into the biggest 45 I ever saw.
8: Where's the duck? Who? He wants to know who, Paulby.
7: Look, we don't want no trouble. You're protecting this Duke. Okay. All we want is the duck. Try Walt Disney. Oh.
3: I should have known they had no sense of humor. The butt of the gun caught me behind the left ear. That's where it usually catches me. I don't know how much more sleep I packed away until I felt you shaking me.
2: Oh, Sam! Sam! Huh?
3: What, what Effie? Sam,
2: they took Mom, huh? those gunmen. They took Mom.
3: What happened?
4: They came into our bedroom.
3: Yeah?
4: They hit me. What? Right here.
2: Yeah?
4: And then they grabbed Mama. They wanted the duck. Huh? Sam, what were they saying? And they took Mom out with them. I'll call the
3: police. Effie, no, no. But they've
4: got Mom. Oh, for heaven's sake, Sam. They took my mother with
3: no, them. No, no, we can't call the police, Effie. Not yet. They they want something. They want the duck. I think <laughs> Mom has it. She's safe for a while, but if we call the police, oh, she's... Oh,
13: Sam, Sam, what shall we do? What shall we do?
3: Keep our fingers crossed and play the rest of the caper by ear. <laughs> So you promised that you wouldn't call the police until I gave you the nod. I went out to buzz the town. I figured it was an out-of-state mob, probably New York. The Gunzels were after the duck. Well, that made no sense. They thought I was the muscle for the juke joint. I hustled over to Jenny the juke. If she didn't know the score, nobody would. Her place was dark. And finally, she opened up and led me into the rear. When I mentioned the duck, she shut down, tied up in a clam in December. It's blisters,
5: Sam. Blisters, I tell you. This ain't only the local law. This is the feds. Go away, Sam. My joint ain't juking for the duration.
3: Listen, Jenny, there's an out-of-state mob. They put the arm on my secretary's mother. She don't know the time of day. They pulled the wrong feather.
5: I don't hear a word you say, Sam.
3: They're mixed up in the juke joint, Griff. You know who they are. Where's the duck, Jenny?
5: Sam, you're winging in the breeze, Sam. Now, give me a
3: rundown, Jenny, or I'll tear your ears off. I want that old woman back safe.
5: You can't muscle me, Sam. You know why? Because you'll tear my ears off, and that's where you'll stop. (laughs) That's where they begin.
3: Okay, Jenny, okay. One thing, Can you get word to them. Maybe. Or you try. Maybe. Tell them I've got the duck. I'll deal for the old woman.
7: I'll try.
5: Go back to your office. If I can throw a little weight, you'll get a call. If I can't, you can come back for my
2: ears.
3: And when I get back to the office, I had you on my hands. And that was no rest cure.
4: But I can't just sit here. Do something. We've
3: got to sit and wait.
4: Maybe they're killing her. Maybe. Oh, Sam, please call the police. No.
3: we got to sweat it out. I
2: can't. I can't go on like this.
7: Mr.
3: Spade, is it? Who's searching? Jenny the Duke. What's your name?
7: I'm Dennis O'Rourke.
3: I'm here to talk about the duck. Good enough. Come into my office, Effie. You wait out here.
2: But wait it. here,
3: I said. Sit down. Thank you, kindly. I'm a lawyer, Mr. Spade. I'm here to represent my client. What's his name?
7: John Doe. Mm hmm. Jane
3: Doe's big brother, huh?
7: My client has been led to believe that you are prepared to uh, produce the duck. Is that correct? More or
3: less. What's it worth to your client? My client is willing to trade the old woman for the duck. <laughs> you go back and tell your client I'm a big boy now. Well, I uh, I don't understand, Mr. Spade. This town is loaded with old women. All I have to do is walk up and down Market Street, but there's only one duck. There must be a misunderstanding. Well, let me put you straight. I've got the duck. Where? don't be cute. Your client wants the duck. Okay. For 50 G. $50,000, is it? Things are high all over yeah, But the old woman is uh, Mrs. Green Aren't you interested Now listen You can do whatever you like About the old woman So you got an old woman Get rid of her However you want That's your sorus. What's important is That you want the duck I want 50 grand Do we play?
7: Well no I Wait Effie I thought we had an audience The other side of the door
2: What were you Shut up
3: Save it, Effie. This is business. Easiest money of the season. Well, if you're ready to talk business, we'll go and talk to my client, Mr. Spade. Now. Then let's go. Hey,
4: what well, I heard you say. It. You did. Oh, Sam. You've known
3: me a long time, Effie, but maybe you don't know me. The United States Armed Forces Radio Service is presenting the weekly adventure
7: of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade.
3: The car that drove us down the peninsula was brand new. I could tell by the way the upholstery smelled and the careful way the driver handled it. O'Rourke, the lawyer, sat up front and I sat in the back, squeezed between two gunners. The gun muzzle stuck into my ribs told me all I needed to know about them. The rest of it I had to guess at. Time is hard to judge when you're blindfolded, but there's only one main road out of San Francisco by land. I know the towns and stops along it fairly well. About 20 miles out of the city, the car turned off the main highway onto a gravel road. Five minutes later, the blindfold came off. The fog was so thick, I still couldn't see much. The gunners pushed me ahead of him into a shack that looked like a summer vacation cottage with a sign over the door that said, By the Weed. A sallow, mean-looking little man with a heavily scarred face met us at the door. And his right arm, just above the wrist, was tattooed a small picture of a mallard duck. He glared at me, and then at O'Rourke.
13: How come? I told you, don't come back without her. Heaven be my witness that he, I did my utmost. Huh? It seems, that he, that Mr. Spade is interested in money. What money? Did you tell him we got the old lady? I did, sir. I am afraid we've misjudged Mr. Spade. In short, that he, Mr. Spade is not in the least altruistic. What does he want? Uh, you had better tell him, Mr. Spade.
3: Fifty thousand now, another fifty G's when I the load of
13: the duck. A hundred G's is a lot of cash. You can afford it. Bugsy, bring in the old lady. Okay.
4: Yeah. I do wish that you'd
13: you, Mr. Morton. Sam! Well, it's high
4: time. Do you know these men?
3: This was a cute trick, Ducky, but it's going to cost you. The lady spoke to you, babe. I told you it's going to cost you, letting her see me here. The longer she stands here staring at me, the more it's going to cost you.
4: Sam, what is it? If I've done anything, you make to angry?
2: Get
3: her I
8: out of
4: here! Mr. Morton said you were going to call on me, Sam. I,
3: I don't understand. There, there, no matter.
4: Don't. There, come along now. Don't you worry about
13: it. I want to go home. Well, of course. I really want to go home. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, Faith. You've broken that old lady's heart. Stop drooling. Watch your talk, Sonny. I ain't any sweet old lady. I don't have to
3: use words when I talk to you, Tucky. You won't do anything to me because I got something you need. Okay.
13: A hundred G. Paid the way you said. Price has gone up. Huh?
3: Kidnapping's a federal
13: rabbit, I'm not taking any part of it. She don't know she was snatched. We told her we are from the DA's office, keeping her on ice as a witness. You'll find out different. I don't plan on settling down here. Oh, that's fine, but I have to go on living in this town with that old hen alive and clucking. It won't be easy. You mean you want we should knock off that sweet old lady? You're a little slow, ducky, but you get there. I've met some lousy lowdown heels in my day, but you're the lousiest lowest... Oh. Go on. Go on. I can take more of it at these prices. We ain't doing your dirty laundry, see? Then it's no dice. My price is a hundred grand. What if I say
3: no? Then I turn over the duck to the federal boys. In that case, I don't care whether the old lady stays alive or not, because I'll be playing their game. Either you're in or you're out. Take it over, Morden. When you decide, you know where to reach me. Yeah.
13: We'll know where to reach you.
3: They drove me back to town blindfolded, and when they let me out of the car, all I could see, even without the blindfold, was the corner of Post and Connie. When street streetcar came along, I tossed a coin with to get on it, I lied down on the
7: tracks and let it run
3: over me. It came up head, so I uh, tossed it again, and I got on. Instead, I fished in my pocket for a slug and came up with a folded slip of paper. It was the one Lola had handed me at Mr. Perrine's birthday party when they were passing out the parts for that screwy charade game. I unfolded it and glanced at it. Then I read it over very carefully. The writing was hard to make out, but what I could read of it said, Help me. That man Marty has followed me here to kill me. If I get out of here alive, Maxie's arcade. I have a hundred dollars. I got off at Columbus and walked up to the International Settlement where Maxie's Arcade does business. What they used to call a penny arcade before inflation set in. I dropped a nickel in a fortune-telling machine. Worried, perplexed, know thyself and your problems will vanish. A card came out that said, you're of a naturally deceitful and secretive character. Disloyalty brings its own punishment. It's never too late to mend. I tore up the card, kicked the machine, and that's when I saw it. It was a narrow little booth, muffled in drapes, and the sign over it said "Salty Hawkins, Tattoo Artist." The card under the curtain showed some typical tattoo designs—anchors, mermaids, fancy initials—but one had a hand-drawn picture pasted over it. It was a mallard duck, the same as the tattoo mark I'd noticed on Ducky Morden's wrist. I pulled the curtain aside and went in. Sir, what can I do for you, mate? Oh, you know about the duck. All in your jib, mate. There's no freshwater water birds here about. How about the new one you just put up in your cart outside? Oh, that one,
7: eh? Now, whereabouts? On the arm, two, three colour jaw. I like. leg. Whereabouts? A left knee. Well, that's right, mate. It was on her knee.
3: Did she you have you remove it for her?
8: Right, guess that time, mate. No why? Look, mate. If I did, I wouldn't be telling strangers about our secret. All right, where is she? Take
3: it easy, mate. I haven't got time to take it easy, mate. Talk. Uh, sure, bar-tempered, don't you? Come know? on, come on. I was going to tell you anyhow.
8: She said to me she said it's main time. All in. right, shut up.
3: Where is she? Right in the back room, mate. Who is it? Spade, open up. Hello, Lola. Finally worked out your charade.
12: Come on in, quick. Were you followed here?
3: I wouldn't have come if I had been. Huh?
12: How much do you know?
3: They want you a hundred thousand bucks worth. You tell me why.
12: You've seen Ducky Mordant? Yeah. Didn't he tell you?
3: I want to hear it from you.
12: Don't believe anything he says. Morning, and I didn't even give me the time of day. He says he wants me back that way. He's a liar.
3: How does he want you back?
12: With rigid Mortis, he wants me back. I'm taking an awful chance opening up to you like this. Let him catch me. They'd only kill me. Humane. You was to let the DA people get at me. Ducky's mob would lay for me then if it took them years. And... Oh, gee, you don't know, Sam. They... They torture girls. What that mob would do to me if I had to testify against them? Okay, I
3: take your word for that. Who are these DA people you're talking about?
12: You never heard of Ducky Morton before?
3: I heard his name. I thought he was knocked over when they had the big racket busting show in New York years ago.
12: Yeah, I guess a lot of people thought that. It wasn't healthy to mention Ducky's name.
3: What was the racket?
12: Juke joints. Giving Mickeys to servicemen, rolling them. That's why the feds are helping the DA's office. They arrested hundreds of girls and held them as material witnesses. Only they wanted me, most of all. I'd work the joints, you see, and then I was Ducky's girlfriend during the duration.
3: Well, I'd think you'd be only too happy to tell what you know about him in court.
12: Oh, gee, I would if I did, but you don't know. The DA's office say they'll give a girl protection, but how can they?
3: What are you doing in San Francisco?
12: Running away. Had my ticket on a boat. I was going to Honolulu. But they was watching the boats. So then I found this room out in Oakland. Mrs. Preen was real nice to me. I never thought they'd find me there. And then Marty showed up. Honestly, it was just a Mickey I put in his drink. Just like we used in the joints, I never knew it'd kill him.
3: You're a brave kid, Lola. Now look, Ducky offered me a hundred grand to deliver you. Would you take a chance on me fighting it out with him for half of that?
12: For fifty grand? Brother, where are we meeting him?
3: O'Rourke's car was parked outside my apartment building where I had a hunch it would be. The two gunners picked us up at the door, unloaded my hardware, and marched us up the stairs. Ducky opened the door of my apartment
13: and waved us inside. I keep the plant Steve. outside, you two. Ducky, listen to me. Uh, sit down. You too, Lola.
12: Ducky, I swear I never said a word. I'd never talk, Ducky, even if they chopped my head off.
13: We'll take up your suggestion later. I got a conference on with Mr. Spade here. You bring the money? Don't crowd me. There's that other matter. The old lady. How about the old lady? I keep my word, Spade. You delivered the duck okay. Okay. The way Jenny gave it out to O'Rourke was the old lady for the duck. But you ain't got no ethics. You see, you figured me wrong. I don't kill old ladies. You're going to kill the duck. I ain't no old lady. No, you ain't. And you ain't going to get any older. And neither are you, Spade. You wasn't kidding.
3: He really meant to knock me over. And the gun he was going to do it with got ready to spake its pace. I'd made my play too strong. The way this type of guns thinks is simple, and I'd guessed it right. If you pressure them, they go the other way by instinct. But what I hadn't figured was that this killer had a heart of lettuce. He was gonna cut me down to protect your mother from me. How do you like that? And I couldn't change my play now. The wheel was already spinning, and so was my head. I tried to brace myself and waited for the blast. Every
2: little movement. Oh, oh dear,
4: I. Dropped the tray. Mrs.
0: Perrine, what are you doing here? Uh,
4: I was just making some coffee for the boys. Oh, dear, I've broken your cups. That's
13: okay, Mother. We'll take care of it. Bugsy, pick it up. Oh,
4: thank you, Mr. Bugsy. Well, I'm so glad you got my message, Sam. Didn't Effie come with you?
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, no. I, well, I, I mean... wanted
4: to surprise you both together. I hope you don't mind my taking over the kitchen. It was so late, and the boys were getting hungry, so I offered to make some coffee and hotcakes.
3: Well, that was very nice of you.
4: Mr. Morden, put that pistol down for a moment and, and help me move this table up into the room. Huh?
13: Oh, oh, sure, Mother.
4: Thank you. Oh, we've had such a good time. <laughs> I've never been up so late in my life. Mr. Bugsy and I played a game called Blackjack, and I won $50. Wait till Effie hears about
3: that. <laughs> yeah, wait till she hears.
4: I suppose Effie will come with Mr. Bundy. Bundy? Oh, yes. I remember that Effie said you and she are often down at his office at police headquarters late at night, so I phoned there. Uh, mother. Yes, Mr.
13: Morton? Did you say you phoned police headquarters?
4: Oh yes. That's where Mr. Bundy worked.
13: Mother. What did you tell Mr. Bundy?
4: Well, just that you and the boys were here and that we were about to have some coffee, and he said he'd just love to come up and join us, and I said, do, and he said he would. With some of his boys. <laughs> did I say something wrong?
3: <laughs> no. No, Mom, not at all. <laughs> all right, boys.
4: Oh, well, I believe that's Mr. Bundy now. <laughs>
3: When the smoke cleared away, Ducky Mordant and his hoods were playing dead duck for keeps on my living room rug. And that rug just came back from the cleaners, too. Dundee and the boys from Homicide took Lola Brent away with them. After it was all cleaned up, I found your mother out in the kitchen.
4: Well, Sam, I just made another pot of coffee.
3: (laughs) Oh, it's okay, Mom. It's okay. It's all over now.
4: I know. I know. I... I've been holding this bag. Oh, Santa, I've never been so frightened in all my life. How does Effie stand it? You
3: played it good, Mom. You played it real good.
4: Did I? Was I as brave as Effie?
3: Braver. And not only that, you got more brains. assembled
1: have you been?
3: On my way to Calcutta, sweetheart, where the dawn comes up like thunder.
1: Sam, what are you talking about? Calcutta? And the
3: flying fishes play. Ready, Effie?
1: Sam, why did you want to go to Calcutta of all places? I didn't,
3: Effie. I hate Calcutta. I was Shanghai. <sighs>
1: to,
3: uh, Mr. Philip J. Fog, purser, S.S. Lurine.
4: How do you spell that, Sam?
3: L-U-R-E-N-E. Oh, that's
4: pretty. Sam, how could you be shanghaied in this day and age? I mean, isn't it against the law?
3: Stow it, Effie. You're pumping bilge water.
4: Sam, I am not.
3: From Samuel Spade, license number 137596 when you have the time regarding the Calcutta trunk caper. Dear Mr. Fogg, the following report will explain the enclosed voucher, which is a claim against your company for the amount of $500 and no cents. It will also answer any questions you might be asked concerning the recent unpleasantness on board your ship. It all started yesterday morning in San Francisco when my secretary announced briefly and caustically that there was a lady outside who wanted to talk to me. I judged that she was worth talking to. She was.
14: Your secretary let me in.
3: Well, I'm glad she did. What can I do for you?
14: I'm Marsha Hopkins. I see. Mrs. Marsha Hopkins. I see. However, my husband is dead. I see. It's about my sister that I've come to you, Mr. Spade. I'm dreadfully worried about her.
3: Uh, who's your sister?
14: Miss Constance Pendleton. And she's become involved with a, a neer do A completely worthless scoundrel and a real foreign bluebeard. All three? It's one man, Mr. Spade. A Bulgarian, Major Andrea Rodnik. They're going to be married this afternoon, and I'm positive that his only interest is in her money. I'm convinced that he's going to kill her, soon after the ceremony. He's done it to other wives in Europe. I've warned Constance and pleaded with her, done everything I could to stop it. But she's completely infatuated with him and refuses to listen to
3: me. Mm -hmm. What do you want me to do?
14: Prevent the marriage, if you can. Get the truth about Rodnick's background and face Constance with it. Oh, Mr. Spain, in some way, you've got to make her realize the seriousness of the situation... He's a ruthless
3: character. <clears throat> well, do what I can, Mrs. Hopkins.
14: Oh, thank you, Mr. Spade. Oh, I've felt so alone and helpless uh, until now. Oh. Really? But you will do everything you can, won't you? We've got to save her life. Uh-huh.
3: She at her eyes with a stamp-sized handkerchief, patted the red-gold hair of the temples nervously, smiled at me bravely, and swayed out. By telephone, I learned that the Vrodnik Pendleton marriage license had been issued four days before, and that on the same day, Constance Pendleton had withdrawn a savings account to the tune of $45,000. I'd always wanted to, so I did it. I uh, called at the Bulgarian
8: consulate. What can I do on you? What do you know about Major Andreev Vrodnik? Ha! Andrea Vrodnik! On him we have hate, great sadness, with shame for the ground that walked under him. Oh? Ha! Andreev Vrodnik! Uh, why is he so popular? On the devil he is driven without horns. Six women he has killed. Six times he has insulted the police of Europe by refusing to confess. We have proof of the matters, but never can we prove the proof on him. Yeah, sometimes it goes that way. Ah, Never do we find the bodies of the six women. Only their money in the name of Andrea Vrodnik. My pardon. Well, think nothing of it. You're uh, you're just upset Uh, on you. You're interested on him. Why? You go to Europe? No, uh, Vrodnik comes here. Ah, Here. Here on San Francisco. He marries again. So I'm told. Ah! Oh, by all the means, you must prevent it. Go to him, brave man. You do the world a service. Make a violence on him. Even do you hang for it. Your name will live.
3: With those valiant words goading me on, I left. The farther I got into the caper, the more it looked as if Marsh's fears for Constance Pendleton were very real and very well-founded. When uh, Constance opened the door of her hotel suite, I could see three trunks and a number of smaller pieces of luggage all locked and ready to be taken out. Yes? Hey, Constance Pendleton? Yes. Uh, I'm a detective. My name is Spade.
1: Detective? What do you want?
3: I, uh, want to talk to you about that Bluebeard you're going to marry.
1: Get out of here. Uh,
3: you listen. I'll talk, and then I'll get out of here. I just left the Bulgarian consulate. Brodnick has been accused of the murders of six women in Europe. Each of them were wealthy. Each of them married him, and each time Brodnick came into all their money.
1: Are you trying to blackmail me because of the lies about my fiancé's past? If you are, you're wasting your time. Well,
3: no matter what I'm doing, I'm wasting my time. But to put you straight, your sister hired me, and I am now resigning. She's worried about you, not me.
1: Then you should spend more time investigating your clients, Mr. Spade. You could have saved both of us some time. I have no, sister. This is my wedding day. Goodbye, Mr. Spade.
3: As I left the room, I maintained the stern facial expression I reserved for moments of great shock. But once outside the door, I allowed myself to be carried on the wave of rage and embarrassment for just a minute. And I kicked over two potted palms. As I, uh, leapt down the corridor, I was overtaken by none other than Marcia Hopkins. Did you see her? Let's talk about you first.
14: Did you stop the marriage? Why
3: did you really want that marriage stopped? But I told you. You told me you were her sister. Oh. She said she didn't have any sister.
14: All right, Sam, I did lie to you about that. But I'll tell you who I really am.
3: I don't want to know who you are. I don't ever want to know. All I want from you is my honestly earned fee and a brief but permanent goodbye. Oh, no,
14: Sam, please listen to me. We've got to save that girl. I have $500. That's all I have. Would it be enough?
3: What's your real name?
14: Marsha Brodnick. Yes, he's my husband. I've been married to him for 10 years. We've traveled all over Europe, and I never knew where the money was coming from. He left me at times for two weeks or a month, and then when he'd come back, there'd be more money. I just realized that that's when he must have been killing those poor women. And I know that's what he's going to do this time. I just can't stand it. You've got to protect her.
3: That should be easy. We'll let him get married and meet him at the door with the bigamy wand.
14: Then you will see me through this. I might. Oh. In my bag, there's $500. Take it. If we can't stop the marriage, then don't let him out of your sight. Not even for a minute. He's a beast, Sam. A beast. <laughs>
3: Archer dropped me in front of the Beast's Hotel and I climbed some fake marble steps to the second floor and knocked at his door. The man who opened it was heavy, handsome in a swarthy, coarse sort of a way, and glowing conceit through two eyes. One monocle, one not.
0: You are facing Major Andreev Rodnik, first Bulgarian horse. What want you? You are facing Saul Fox of the law firm
3: of Fox, Smedley, Van Dusen, and Grip. You overwhelmed yourself. I came here to warn you. If you go through with a marriage to Constance Pendleton, you're gonna find yourself tangled with civil
0: law. Warned Andre Brodnik, who has personally led more saber charges than you have teeth in your skull. Yes. Who has personally split, slashed, and impaled on his own blade more men than you have fingers and toes. You warn me. What is this, talk?
3: You're going to have a bigamy charge slapped on you five minutes after you slip her the ring. The warrant signed by Mrs. Marsha Vrodnik.
0: Bigamy? <laughs> I laugh. This is not bigamy. Marsh is your wife, isn't she? That bigamy was committed when I married her. I had another wife then. You call yourself a lawyer, then you know that only the second marriage is bigamy. The ones following that are nothing, nothing but interludes.
3: Okay, Major, go ahead and have your interlude. I'm just warning you.
0: Oh, speaks. We are being married on Redwood City from a justice of the peace one hour previous. Then we are sailing through the SS Lurine at midnight with our honeymoon. Already a droschke awaits for the baggage and luggage. Go now before I'm losing my temper. If you're ever in Calcutta, look me up. Da!
3: I could see the direct approach was getting me nowhere, so I decided to proceed by stealth. I waited outside the building, and when he left, I tailed him. He made four stops. At a second-hand store, a hardware store, a surgical supply house, and an undertaker supply house. At these places, he purchased the following items. An oversized steamer trunk, black with brass fittings, a large ball of rope twine, two large lead sash weights, a set of surgical instruments, and at the fourth and final stop, the undertaking supply, he bought two items, a 20-foot length of rubber tubing and a pump. He returned to the second-hand store with his other purchaser, put them inside the trunk, and ordered it sent up to Constance's hotel immediately, and thereupon, it took himself to the same place. Marsha was waiting in the empty lobby when he went in. I crouched behind a pillar, turned up my hearing aid,
0: and listened. Did you get the thing? Now listen, my darling, we must work fast. As soon as the trunk arrives, before she has the chance to get to the telephone... Yes, yes,
14: Andre, but please, no cutting in the apartment.
0: As you wish, my darling. Now, you know know what you have to do. While I'm getting her into the trunk, you'll change her clothes, put on her traveling dress, the head with the... What is it?
14: What's the matter?
0: nothing. Nothing. Come. We must make
14: haste.
3: They made haste to the elevators, and I made haste to the raw house telephone booths around the corner and called Constance's room.
5: Hello?
3: This is Rodney. Speaking. Listen, get out of that room right away. Don't take the elevator. Go down the stairs. Uh, I haven't got time to explain, and you haven't got time to listen. All those stories about your husband are true. He's going... Hello? Hello? Are you still on
2: the line?
3: My hand clawed out to the door handle, but I couldn't reach it. I felt as if the walls were closing in around me, and just before it got dark, I had the crazy notion that I was inside Brodnick's big black trunk with the brass fittings. I could still hear Constance's voice way off in the distance, somewhere in the direction of Calcutta. I tried to shout to her, to warn her, and then the lid closed over me. I shook my head trying to get the bells out of it. Then I remembered where I was and what had happened. I was still wedged into the bottom of a phone booth where I'd slumped when Brodnick sat me. I got out of there somehow and grabbed a taxi for the Embarcadero time was 11.55. The SS Lorraine was scheduled to sail at midnight. I was no sooner across it than they hauled up the gangplank and the ship started moving out of the berth. I didn't know where she was bound for and I didn't much care. I checked the passenger list and found that Major and Mrs. Andreev Brodnik were in stateroom 12, A-deck. One minute later, I was hammering on the door of stateroom 12. The woman in Vrodnik's stateroom was Constance, and she was not in a trunk.
1: I thought I told you to stop interfering in our affairs.
3: Yeah, your husband told me to, but I didn't like the way he did it.
0: Get out from here, get
3: out! I see you got your trunk in
0: here where it's handy. Doesn't it make the stateroom kind of crowded? Why don't you give up, Mr. Spade? Two times already, you are twice a fool. Marsha has no money to pay you, neither have I, even if she had the case. And believe me, she has not.
1: Why do you even bother talking to him, Andre? Mr. Spade, will you go now, or will I have to call the steward and make a complaint against you?
3: I went. I still thought Marsha Hopkins was somewhere on that ship. I still didn't like the look of that trunk. I found the purses office and went in. You looked at me as if you thought I was a stowaway, Mr. Fogg. And you were right.
7: Oh,
6: I'll have to make arrangements for you to ride back with a pilot, Mr. Spade. You realize, of course, that you're subject to a fine. Look,
3: I don't want to do anything illegal. You know, it was uh, just an impulsive thing. Uh, couldn't I book a passage? Oh, there's a the matter of your passport. You
13: could arrange your visa and so on in St. Pedro. We'll put in there in the morning. Well, that's good enough. Uh, how much is the fare? Oh, let me see. That's
6: $483.87, exclusive of tax.
3: Oh, hey, now... Uh, Wait, I wasn't thinking of taking quite such an extensive voyage, you know. I just wanted to get a little sea air and... Uh, how much to Pedro? Well,
7: I'm afraid you don't understand, Mr. Spade. This is not a coastwise steamer. Our first official port of call is Calcutta. Yeah, I know, but... Calcutta?
6: That's in India.
3: Well, uh, uh, Don't you have something a little less expensive, like, uh, steerage or, uh... There is
6: only one stateroom available, number 14A
3: deck. I could all leave it. Okay, okay, Calcutta. After buying my passage to Calcutta, I had exactly 12 cents left. This I gave to the steward who showed me to my stateroom. He uh, thanked me, kicked me in the shins and left. Out on deck, a tall, red-nosed old gentleman a knickerbockers in knickerbockers and a yachting cap was taking a turn around the deck. With him was a face I'd seen in the morning lineup down at the Hall of Justice a dozen times. He was a hotel thief by profession, name of Norman Gorman. He knew me too, but he didn't give me a tumble. I fell into step with him.
7: Ah! sea yeah. <laughs> Nothing like it, am I right?
3: Yeah, I guess it's okay, but there's so much of it. Ah, uh,
7: brisk bracing, salt spray, nothing like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Norman, my lad. I hate it. I hate boats. Suppose there was a fire on board. Fire? Oh, ridiculous. Is uh, this your first voyage to the Orient? Yeah. Uh, the inscrutable East.
3: You've made this trip before? Oh, yes,
7: indeed. I've worked this line. Uh, I mean, uh, yes, indeed. I make this voyage very often. Business interest out of India. Tea, you know. Runs my family. Sturgis' is golden orange in the little yellow package. Ever tried it?
3: Uh, no, I never indulge. Huh?
7: Well, don't drink tea. That's ridiculous. Commodore, I need a drink. I ain't happy. Suppose there was a fire on board here. Ah.
3: Well, let's all have a drink. Yes, yeah, suppose there was Shall a fire
7: Come on,
3: I'll judge you, Rudrick, sir. Uh, not me, Commodore. I uh, just remember this is Fire Prevention Week. The nearest fire alarm to Brodnick's stateroom is on the companionway leading to the A deck corridor. It was a glass enclosed box with a small hammer hanging on a chain. I broke the glass and turned the key. In three seconds flat, the entire population of A deck were shoving each other up the companionway, grabbing for life preservers as they went. The steward hammered on the door of stateroom twelve, opened it, shouted inside, and Driving and Constance reluctantly came out. I ducked inside, grabbed the handle of the trunk, and started dragging it. When I got it into my stateroom, I broke the lock and lifted the lid. It was Marshall, all right. It was just time to see that before the stateroom door flew open and the ship's officer stuck I, his head in. I
2: didn't know what you did.
6: Alarm? Why, uh, no,
3: I didn't. What's wrong? Never mind,
6: Daddy. Take this life for supper. Get going. Okay, now. okay.
3: On. Don't touch me. It makes me nervous. Twenty minutes later, the captain announced to the mob up on the deck that it was a false alarm, and the passengers drifted back to their cabins. I tried to look casual as I unlocked my stateroom door and walked in. Then I stopped trying. The trunk was still there, but the lid was standing open, and it was empty. I went down to B deck and found the cabin occupied by Norm and the Commodore. That door was locked, so I kicked it in. You could still see the marks on her wrists and ankles with the cord of them. It was the girl I had seen in the trunk. It was Marsha Hopkins, and she was very much alive.
14: I'm sorry, I thought it was... Oh, Oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You've got to help me, Sam.
3: Why should I help you?
14: He's crazy. They're both crazy.
3: It all depends on who's in the trunk, doesn't it, Marcia? When it was Constance, you didn't think he was so crazy.
14: Oh, don't you understand? I had to pretend that I'd help him. He was going to kill her right there in the hotel room. I told him it was too dangerous. If anybody looked in the trunk, it would be safer if she was in there alive. We finally agreed and said he'd wait until we got out to sea to kill her. And then he was Yeah, Yeah, I know about
3: that.
14: Oh, the idea was so awful, I, I couldn't stand it. I started to scream, and then he stuffed the gag in my mouth and tied me up. He must have used chloroform or something, because the next thing I knew, I, I was in the trunk. And that little dark man was leaning over me. He and that old man with the knickers, <laughs> he brought me here.
3: <laughs> so they pulled a switch on you. You were the fall gal all along.
14: Oh, you've got to believe me. It was the only way I could save her life. You're the only one I can turn to, Sam. That little thief and the old man, they'd deliver me dead if there was an extra $25 in it. Oh, say you'll help me, Sam. Please, say. it.
3: When you ask me like that, what, what else can I say?
14: Oh, you do believe me, darling. You do believe me.
7: Come on, let's get out of here. I'm sorry, Mr. Spade. Please step back inside. <clears throat> I promised my associate, Mr. Gorman that I would not allow this young lady to risk her life by leaving this cabin.
3: You're getting into this caber at the wrong end, Commodore. It's wound up. They've bungled it. It's no good anymore. Uh, you may be
7: right. But you understand my position, sir. I can't take any chances. You've, uh, talked to Mr. Gorman? Norm? Yeah, I talked to him. He took you into his confidence? Stop making with the pistol, Commodore. You don't know how to use it anyway. Oh, well, heavens, Norm, you're as white as a sheet. What is it?
14: Oh, he he's sick. Go, go get a doctor. Yes, indeed.
7: Right away. Oy, listen, Spade. Take her with you. Get out of here. I don't want no part of this. You got it bad, Norm. I'm sick, I tell you. The way I had it sizes was a clean caper, a snatch. I figure the dame here's an heiress or something. Maybe they drop her off in L.A., correct some, connect some ransom and go on. I I figured it was enough for all of us. Oh, but that creep, that Brodnick, he's crazy. He's a regular Jack the Ripper. Stop
3: babbling, Norm. Tell me what happened, exactly what happened.
7: I get a sinking feel in my stomach every time I think about it. Well... I go in, see? He's very smooth, very business-like. He offers me a drink. I accept it. He mixes a couple of highballs for me and the dame, then he starts talking. I guess she don't know all about it before this, because she gets just sick as I do. First, I think he's kidding. Then he drags out this set of cutlery like a doctor used to operate on people. Only he's got something else in mind. The portal, you understand? I don't want to hear anymore. As it's you he has in mind, I don't blame you. My, my stomach. Hey, Norm, Norm. Oh. Here he is, the ship surgeon. Oh dear me! What? 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 Uh, stand away from him, please. Help me get him into the bunk. Sure, doctor.
3: Take the shade off that light, please. Ah, uh, yes, yes. He's dead, isn't he? Oh yes, he's dead, of course. Who poisoned him? I didn't waste any time answering him. I grabbed him by the arm. Before he could object, I was pushing him up the companionway to a deck. It was probably too late to save Constance's life. She'd drunk the same poison, and I was pretty sure she had, but if I was going to nail him for the murder of Constance, I had to get there before the evidence vanished. We got there just in time. Ah! I don't need to tell you what we saw, and I'd rather not. Brodnik rose slowly to his feet, Flicked his heels, military
0: fashion, and bowed very low. Ah, the ship's surgeon. How opportune. Perhaps you could advise me, doctor. After all, I am, in all honesty, even still, a mere amateur at this sort of thing. <laughs>
3: After Vrodnik had been taken into custody, we took another turn around the deck. It was daylight, and the ship was lying to off San Pedro. This time, the fresh air really felt good, and so did Marcia. It's
14: all over, Sam.
3: Yes, sweetheart, it's all over.
14: But not between us. Say it, Sam. Say it's not all over between us.
3: How can it be?
14: I knew it. I knew you felt the same way. All my life before, it's been like a terrible nightmare. Never really happened.
3: But it did happen, sweetheart.
14: Oh, but you can forget it, darling, can't you? Please forget it.
3: I'd like to, Marsha. I really would.
14: Hold me close, Sam. Never let me go.
3: You're beautiful.
14: Is that all, Sam? Nothing else?
3: Yeah. Lots else. That's why I think we better say goodbye right now is when I feel like this, I get foolish. And if I get foolish with you, I'm likely to wake up in a trunk someplace. And that, Mr. Fogg, is the true account of the Calcutta trunk caper. As my voyage was interrupted through no fault of my own, I trust you will advise your company to refund my passage minus... A one-way trip to San Pedro. Ah, uh, period and a report. Sam Spade is played by Howard. Duck.
1: Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app.